I'll give you a moment to turn to that. When I uh, grew up in Devon, we used to have uh, a, what, our, what we call youth discipleship here. Uh, in Devon, we called, uh, it was called Snack, Sunday night after church, which I thought was a, you know, kind of a cool name. Uh, but you had to be in year 10 in order to go uh, to Snack. But I had friends who were in year 10, and when I was in year 9, I was really gutted that I would, was not allowed to go to snack. Partly because they had Bible teaching, and of course I wanted to hear that, but they also had pizza, which was much more of a draw at the time, and I felt I was really missing out. I felt that I wasn't invited. I wasn't welcome to come to this really cool group where they got to have this really nice pizza. But I wasn't unwelcome at this group. It just was not time for me to be at that group. I had to wait till I was old enough to go. In the Gospel of Matthew so far, Jesus has been focusing on uh, the, the Jewish people. Throughout the, the Gospel, he has been in Jewish territory, working with Jewish people. And we may be, uh, at the, the, if you, as we're reading this gospel, be thinking, well, what about those who aren't Jews? Well, in Matthew chapter 2, we saw as the pagan wise men from the east came all the way uh, to the place where Jesus was to worship him as king, that the gospel is for people who are far from God. But since that time, Jesus has been in Jewish territory. There has been uh, odd occasions like the centurion and his servant, who have received blessings from Jesus. But for the most part, Jesus has been focusing on sharing the good news with the Jewish people. But tonight, he leaves Jewish territory and goes to Gentile territory, where he begins to work amongst those people. The context of where this passage comes is interesting. He has just been speaking to a group of Jewish religious leaders who respond to the work and words of Jesus by asking whether the disciples have washed their hands properly. They weren't interested in what Jesus was doing, really, except for the fact that it was making them look bad, perhaps, or they, weren't expect, they didn't think he was the kind of Messiah that they were looking for. And so Jesus responds to them in the beginning of chapter 15 by turning their worldview inside out. He tells these religious leaders that it's not external religion only that makes you right with God, but it's a new heart that is needed, a new heart that Jesus comes to bring us. And tonight in Matthew's gospel, Jesus turns another Jewish worldview inside out. And that worldview is the view that the Jewish people were not just the people of God, but that God was only for them. The religious leaders of the time felt that anybody outside of the nation of Israel weren't really worthy of a relationship with God. They were, they were hated. They were Gentiles. Now, Gentiles is a, a Bible word that means non-Jewish people. So that's uh, I would say most of us here are what, the, what are described as Gentiles. But in this passage tonight, Jesus shows 
that God's salvation has come not just for Jewish people, but actually it has come for all people. And that's good news for us, isn't it? Especially uh, as we're most of us not Jewish. But it's a great irony that Matthew shows us here that right after the cream of the crop of the Jewish leaders have rejected him as their Messiah, a Canaanite woman responds with great faith. It's a deliberate comparison. The cream of the crop, the top Jewish religious leaders, they tell Jesus, well, your disciples don't wash their hands. And this Canaanite woman, this Gentile lady, responds to the salvation that Jesus is bringing. Jesus shows us that all people are invited to receive his salvation by giving a lesson which can be described as a dog's dinner. Now, this title will make sense as we examine the passage. Okay, look out for uh, how the word dog is used in Matthew chapter 15. So I'm going to read uh, Matthew 15 from uh, verse uh, 21. So leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, Have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. This is God's word. And in these two two accounts, the, the account of the Canaanite woman and the account of the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus shows how he has come for all people. So first of all, we see that for all people, 
Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in this passage, geography is really important. To help us understand that Matthew's telling us Jesus has come for all people. So we read in verse 21 that Jesus withdrew, which he does often when he's under threat. Because the time for him to die was later on. So when he's under threat in this gospel, we often read that Jesus withdrew. But more important than the fact that he withdrew is where he withdrew to. He, went to the re- uh, he left the region of Galilee, which was a Jewish area, and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which was Gentile territory. Now, as expected in Gentile territory, Jesus meets Gentile people. Now, Jesus has healed Gentiles in Israel's territory before, for example, the centurion's servant, but he hasn't healed in Gentile territory before. And Jesus here is met by a Canaanite woman. That's an interesting uh, way of describing her because a Canaanite uh, is an enemy of Israel. In fact, the Canaanites are Israel's oldest enemies. They were the evil inhabitants of the promised land that Israel was supposed to uh, destroy as they entered the promised land because they were an evil people doing evil things. In fact, in the book of Joshua, that was what the conquest was about. It was taking the promised land, and the Canaanites were to be taken out of the promised land. This woman really only exists because Israel were disobedient in not destroying her descendants. That is how she would have been viewed by the religious people of the time. So if she is helped by Jesus, then it really does show that Jesus comes for all peoples, doesn't it? Well, she came crying out. Uh, The the tense of that means she kept on crying out. It wasn't a a one-off cry. She continually kept on crying out to Jesus over and over again. And notice what this Canaanite woman cries out. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. That title, son of David, is the title of the Jewish Messiah. She recognizes Jesus as Messiah. She uh, knows that he can heal her daughter from her demon possession. She probably has no background as such in the Jewish faith, but has enough knowledge of it to know that this is the promised Messiah. That there is someone coming from the line of David who would save his people and be a blessing to all nations. And she sees Jesus and she calls him that son of David. She recognizes her dependence on him. And she recognizes that she's not worthy to receive his help because she asks for his mercy. Please help me, Lord. She's crying out to him. So it's a good start for this woman as we meet her. She is someone that seems to have faith in Jesus. So what would you expect Jesus to do? Certainly not what happens in verse 23, right? He didn't say anything to her. It says he was silent. So Jesus is ignoring her. How rude, we may think. If you were to be talking to me and asking me to help you and I just stood there and said nothing, you'd think, well, how rude. Well, the disciples get a bit annoyed here. They, they, she keeps on crying out, so they want her to go away. So they say to Jesus, well, will you just help him? 
send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. It could mean just tell her to get lost, or it could mean, Jesus, just do what she asks, because you can heal her daughter, so that she'll stop crying out to us. But in verse 24, Jesus explains why he was silent. He says, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, at first, this seems even more rude than the silence, doesn't it? But he's speaking here to the disciples, but he's still ignoring the woman. No doubt she can hear what he is saying. He says he's only come for the lost sheep of Israel. That is, the the Jewish people. Well, what, what on earth is going on here? How can Jesus be so rude? He's being silent. He's ignoring her. And he turns to the disciples in her hearing and says, well, I haven't come for for this kind of person. I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. Well, to help us, we maybe can compare this with something Jesus said very much the same uh, in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus was sending there his disciples on a mission to proclaim his words and works around Galilee. And when he instructed them, he said this, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go, rather, to the lost sheep of Israel. What was Jesus doing there? He was giving the disciples a mission scope, a limit, a priority. As a man, Jesus was not everywhere at the same time. He limited his mission to what he was assigned to do. Their mission initially was to Israel. It's a matter of priority. And we understand this. I used to work in IT, and we had loads of different projects that were plonked on our desk, and we had to prioritize them. There was no time to do every single project that we were given. And so we had all sorts of ways of doing it, but we would prioritize and do the things first that were the highest priority that we could get done. If you work in in healthcare, you have a a triage nurse if you go to the hospital and she or he prioritizes uh, the the order of what the the, the patients will uh, be seen in. That's what was going on here as a, a priority. Jesus isn't saying, I don't love anyone else, but he came for the lost sheep of Israel. That was his, his priority initially. But the Canaanite woman in verse 25, she didn't care what Jesus' priorities were at all. She just wanted help for her daughter. And so she kept on going. She kneels down, a position of, of worship, to plead for help from Jesus. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. Well, then verse 26 comes. So first he's silent. Then he ignores her and speaks to the disciples. And then verse 26, it just appears downright insulting, doesn't it? Look at what he says. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What? Is is Jesus really saying what I think he's saying? But it sounds pretty offensive to us, doesn't it? And in a way, it is offensive. In one sense, it's a big insult because to Jewish people, the religious leaders would call Gentiles dogs. That was a a name they would give to them, an unclean animal. And the way that the, the Jewish religious leaders would use the word dog was for a wild, mangy dog. 
But the dog Jesus talks of here, it's actually a different word to a wild, mangy dog. It refers to the household pets. So maybe it's just not quite as insulting as what it could have been, right? So he's referring to the Gentiles using the derogatory word dog, but in the illustration, it's not the kind of dog that Gentiles were usually called. And with that kind of a dog, a pet dog in mind, what Jesus is saying makes a bit more sense. In a house, you don't feed the dog at the expense of your children, or rather, you shouldn't feed the dog at the expense of your children. When I was growing up, we had a a dog, uh, and we used to give the dog uh, the leftover meat on the bone of the, the roast joint that we had, and we used to give the dog Uh, the ends of the gravy boat, and the dog used to lick it out. The dog never got those two things before we did, unless it was when the dog was very young and it could jump up, then she could maybe have it, but that wasn't on purpose. My mum never gave the dog the food over the children. The priority of Jesus was to come to the Jewish children of God, and he's saying it wouldn't be right for him to spend his time giving that bread, which is for those people, to the Gentiles. Again, it's priority. But the woman, again, in verse 27, rather than saying, how dare you call me a dog, she doesn't care about that. She's not going to take no for an answer. She's persistent because she wants her daughter healed. She doesn't tell Jesus that it's unfair. She doesn't plead her case and say, well, Jesus, I know I'm a Gentile dog, but I'm a worthy one. No, she says, asks for a small mercy from Jesus with her response. She says, yes, it is, Lord. So it is right to give some food to the dogs because even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So my dog got the bones with the meat on it and the bottom of the gravy. It is right, she says, for the dogs to eat the bread. They, They have the crumbs. Now, pet dogs... In those days, just like today in a way, are dependent on receiving scraps from the owners. And if you think, well, in our day they get tin dog food, if you've ever tasted it, it's, I'd rather eat scraps from the table. But they are dependent on their owners, aren't they? Okay? They are dependent on their owners. But Jesus may have come for the Jewish children, but she, a Canaanite dog, can still eat the scraps. And scraps from the Messiah are a dog's dinner enough to bring the salvation that her daughter needs. And she's depending on the crumbs from Jesus to save her daughter. And so in verse 28, Jesus calls this great faith, and her daughter was healed. Again, it was not the amount of faith that she had, it was who her faith was in. Her faith in Jesus was so great that she realized that I only need a crumb from him and all will be well. And the fact is that Jesus uh, drew this faith out of her, which I think is the reason behind his earlier silence and dismissal. He's not being mean or rude. He's drawing out of her this great faith really to show it off to his disciples, who in the previous passage, or just before that previous passage, had little faith. Peter, in chapter 14, has said he has little faith. And just a couple of chapters later, this Canaanite woman 
who wants just a crumb from Jesus, has great faith. Her persistence was showing the disciples what great faith in Jesus looks like. Jesus isn't really being mean to this lady. He's showing her off. And Jesus' Jesus's disciples and all of us can see that through her, even Canaanite people, people from anywhere can have salvation if they have faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a great, uh, it's great news for us, isn't it? Because salvation can be for you and for me. Whatever our background, wherever we're from, whatever we've done, this salvation is for all peoples. Faith in Jesus gives you salvation from more than demon possession. It saves us from sin and Satan's possession. You can be forgiven and have a home in heaven forevermore and receive all the blessings of all that we heard this morning because Jesus came for all people. Now, as Christians, we also need to apply this perhaps in a a different way. If Jesus came for all people, even Canaanites, the enemies of God's people, we also need to be welcoming to all people as well, don't we? That doesn't mean accepting Uh, as members, any person regardless of what they believe or how they're living their life. But it does mean that we share the gospel with all people, not just those that we like or may approve of. It does mean that we need to welcome into our church those who have professed faith in Christ that perhaps are different from you or disturb our comfort sometimes. But from this account with this woman, perhaps most of all, we can be thankful that Jesus has saved even us. Well, this theme of salvation for all peoples carries on in verses 29 to 31, where we read this account of mass healing. Uh, Great crowds come to Jesus, and he heals them. Uh, Again, in, in Matthew's gospel, this is so common that we, it becomes almost, oh yeah, Jesus healed people. But, but don't, don't lose the sense of amazement here that he's masses of people coming and being healed of all their diseases. We see the amazing power of Jesus, divine power bringing divine healing, reversing the curse of sin in the place where he was. And we've seen all this before, but the key point in this passage is that they were in Gentile territory which is important when you read verse 31. Look at how the people there respond to Jesus. At the end of verse uh, 31, they praised the God of Israel. They praised the God of Israel. Now, in verse 29, it says that they, uh, he left the place where the Canaanite woman was, but we know he was remaining in Gentile territory. Uh, Mark tells us he was in the region of the Decapolis. And in that region, in that place, they praised the God of the other place for them, Israel. The woman earlier was a Canaanite, and people from that place, all these masses of people, are praising the God of Israel. Another sign that salvation has come for all people. And Jesus isn't just providing crumbs here. There's masses of people being healed, just like the healing that was being performed in the Jewish areas. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, that's signs of the Messiah coming that the prophets foretold. 
Jesus is showing us here that although his priority for, for now might be the Jewish people, in terms of his scope, the fulfillment of his mission is for all people to be saved, all peoples. And we're seeing a picture of that here. And as Matthew's gospel progresses, as we get to the end of it, his disciples are to go to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is showing here his willingness to bring salvation to Gentile dogs. And in an amazing link to the crumbs, the very next section shows Jesus is willing to give more than crumbs. He provides another miracle feast. Do you see the link? She, the lady is asking for the crumbs from the bread at Jesus' table. And in the Gentile territory, the very next thing that happens is there is bread, not crumbs, but whole loaves that are broken again and thousands are fed. That's the link. And what we see is that Gentiles don't only receive crumbs. For all people, satisfaction comes through food from Jesus Christ. So in verse, uh, verse 32, as we come to this next uh, bit, Jesus has been healing people. Uh, and verse 32 tells us that this has been going on for three days. And whilst they'd been healed, it seems they hadn't been fed. So they may, they may be able to walk and maybe able to see, uh, but their bellies were rumbling. And we, so they were hungry. And Jesus, we read, had compassion uh, for these people. Who are these people? The people in this Gentile area. And compassion means to have a deep sympathy for them. Deep and divine love that Jesus has been showing. And so he doesn't want to send them away hungry. He wants to feed them. And so as we come to verse 33, there should be bells ringing in our minds. That this should be familiar. He says that, that his disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Does it sound familiar? Have we heard something like this before? Now, some people think that this event and the feeding of the 5,000, which is the, the familiar story that you should be thinking about, is the same event. But it's not the same event. There are lots of differences. Uh, there's 4,000 rather than 5,000 for a start. Uh, but there's other differences in the amount of loaves used and fish and all sorts of things. The amount of baskets used, the type of basket used at the end. Uh, this account is repeated in Mark's gospel. He has both as well. It's a separate miracle given to separate people. But Jesus is teaching really the same truth. Jesus alone can satisfy our deepest hunger, our deepest longings, our deepest needs. And the disciples, no doubt, in verse 33, are, are thinking about feeding of the 5,000. How can they not, when they ask this question, think, well, he did it before. It's a familiar problem. Where could we get enough bread? You could read this as the disciples not getting it, and they're a bit dumb, which often happens in the accounts of the Gospels. In fact, if, it's one of the reasons why the Gospels uh, are authoritative, that we know they're, they're true because no people write about themselves quite like the disciples write about themselves in the Gospels. It could be that, but it could also be them thinking this. Does Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, 
have the power to feed these people in this place, in this Gentile place? Is he going to do the same thing with these Canaanites as he did with the Israelites? And in verses 34 to 36, the answer is yes. Yes, he can. Yes, he does. And in those verses, Jesus basically repeats what he did before, but with different numbers. He gives thanks, he breaks the bread, and he distributes it so that all can eat. This time, there were seven loaves and a few small fish, and with them, he fed 4,000 men besides women and children. It's another divine miracle. And again, we can be so familiar with what's going on here that we miss the wonder. There was just seven loaves of bread. He prayed, gave thanks, he broke them, and everybody was fed until everybody was satisfied and there was leftovers. And just like before, when Jesus fed, the, when he fed the 5,000, in verse 37, we read, they all ate and were satisfied. A dog's dinner, that was a divine feast. And again, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our hunger, wherever you're from. Now, physical hunger is satisfied here, but of course, the picture is of a deeper hunger, a relationship with our Creator that only the Creator Himself can give us and satisfy us with. What we see here is the Creator coming to His creation and feeding the hungry physically, but the Creator comes to His creation and provides the deeper hunger, that relationship with God by dying on the cross to pay for our sin, the sin that breaks that relationship with God. Now, the disciples here have seven basketfuls left over. And the, the basket here is a different kind of basket to the previous kind. It was actually a, a, a lot bigger. And the disciples, in collecting this large amount of leftovers, were, were reminded of the abundant supply of Jesus. But not just for the Jewish people. This abundant supply with these baskets, which were actually bigger baskets, would remind them that Jesus abundantly, superabundantly supplies and satisfies all people. And that's the point of this passage. This feast of King Jesus that satisfies is available to all. He is showing us that all people are invited to his table. Now, the fact that Jesus does this in a remote place, because that's where we read that he is in verse 33. Where could we get enough bread in this remote place? The fact that he was there with these kind of people, these Canaanites, should spur us to pray and give us hope for those of us that we know and love who seem very remote from Jesus. And we sometimes think, can he really help them? We can with the disciples almost say in verse 33, where could we get enough to satisfy these people? They seem so far from God. There's no way that they can be saved and satisfied by Christ. We can wonder whether he can satisfy people in my family, in my workplace, in my community. Can Jesus really do that? Yes, he can. And yes, he does. He saved us, hasn't he? 
even people who are far from God, as far from God as you can possibly imagine, in the remotest of places, that you would never expect to receive this feast that Jesus offers. They can, because Jesus can and does feed even those people. So it should inspire us to pray, and pray hard for those that we know that are far from God. He can feed them. But it also should inspire us to pray uh, for and, and support those missionaries that are taking the gospel to the remotest parts of the world. I was thinking of people like the Wycliffe Bible Translators and New Tribes Mission that came to our church in recent months. People who take this bread of life that Jesus offers and invites people in the remotest places to the feast of the king. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, when another Gentile, the centurion's servant, showed great faith, Jesus spoke about a future feast in heaven, a messianic banquet. And listen to what he said. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In the future, we will see people from all nations and people groups joining the Jewish people of God in glory, feasting with Jesus, satisfied forever with food from our King. So let's rejoice that we are invited. And let us invite others to join us and to continue to support the, the missionaries that we support with our finances and our prayers as they go to the remote places of the world, to the unreached people groups, and share this good news, this living bread with other people. And in a moment, we're going to come around the Lord's table where we have the bread and the cup, and we come around this table together, people from all different backgrounds, because we all are from different places, aren't we? Different stories. Some of us come from perhaps very remote places physically. Certainly, we come from remote places spiritually. There's no reason why any of us should be saved. But here we are, and we can come around this table and remember the offer that Jesus gives us of eternal life. So before we come and uh, gather around the Lord's table, we're going to close uh, with a song. We're going to sing, King of the Ages, Almighty God, and remember that all the nations will come to him.